Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you subdue our hearts with the scepter of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we join with Christians across the span of the globe, across the span of time to confess he is risen. And in doing so, we as Christian people wait with certain hope because he is risen. We wait with certain hope that we too one day will rise. Out of death, the Lord Jesus has brought light. Out of brokenness, he has brought wholeness. This is what Christians believe to be the good news. This is the good news that the prophet Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before Jesus. In what he could only imagine, he imagined a time of good news where those who were held captive and bound would be set free. He imagined a time when despair would be replaced with praise, ugliness with beauty, poverty with wealth, and shame with honour. He imagined that time, and the Lord Jesus has brought that reality. The Lord Jesus has brought that reality to us in his death and in his resurrection. And the prophet Isaiah says this, everlasting joy will be yours. So I'm going to ask us this morning, is everlasting joy ours? Well, our world has undergone significant events in the last two years. And it's hard to see everlasting joy amidst chaos. The Pulitzer Prize-winning author Frederick Beechner writes this, he says, The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, that wells up from the rock-bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The worst isn't the last thing about the world. Can you believe it? Is everlasting joy yours today? Do you know that the worst thing in your life is not the last? This is what we're here this morning to remind one another today. This is what we confess in faith on Easter Day. We confess that everlasting joy is ours because Jesus has been raised from the dead and yet... These truths are hard to believe, and they're even harder to live by. It's in fact easy to look for the living amongst the dead, to look for hope around the obvious but fragile structures of power and honour that are made by man. But on Fridays we gathered, we recalled the past, and the reality of Jesus' death on the cross and our privilege of taking up that cross today. But as we meet this morning, this Easter day, we meet to celebrate the resurrection. We meet to celebrate a promise of the future, that everlasting joy will be ours. And that's hard to believe. It requires a degree of imagination to see something that's not fully here yet. And 
That's what we see in the Gospel accounts. We see men and women, people like you and me, coming to grips with what the prophets had said, coming to grips with what Jesus had said, coming to grips with reality and wrestling with that, struggling. John records those famous words on the cross, it is finished. Those three words so fittingly speak of Jesus' victory and accomplishment. But how might those three words have been understood by those who first heard them? It is finished. It is finished all right because Jesus is finished. If you were a disciple there, seeing his motionless body in the darkness, it would have been a sight of a failed pipe dream. That inescapable reality that everything that they had hoped for in Jesus was now dead. The devastation of death no doubt brought disappointment and disillusionment to the disciples. We know the women were watching Jesus' death at a distance and we know it was their courage that allowed them to be there but what about their anguish? and heartache before their very eyes as they saw Jesus crucified was a most painful and certain reality. Because what we see before us is often a far more dominant and controlling reality than words that we might have to remember, words that we might have to recall. As they saw Jesus hanging there, those words were lost for a moment and they were confronted with death and its horrible reality. And can, and can you imagine being there at the cross, seeing the one that you loved, seeing the one who held so much hope for your life and your nation and people in general, seeing him hanging there, dead, and then walking away. Imagine trudging away slowly with a heavy weight of despair. There's no whiff of resurrection. There's only the stench of death. And in Luke's account, we know that leaving this place of pain, this place of Golgotha, this city of Jerusalem, was a man named Cleopas. And he's not as famous as Mary or Peter, he's picked up in the next section that was read from, that, was, that John read to us from Luke chapter 24. In the next verse, as Peter is marvelling at the empty, empty tomb, clear pass, well, what's he doing? He's getting out of there. We read in Luke chapter 24 verse 13, now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They were talking about what they'd just seen. And they were walking away from Jerusalem on the third day, a decent walk of 10 kilometres. Perhaps Emmaus is the first step. Perhaps they're planning to get out further. Maybe they didn't know where they were going, but they do know where they're leaving. They're leaving this dead Messiah this one who had promised so much. 
They're getting out of Jerusalem. There's no fight, there's only flight. And as they walked, Luke tells us, as they walked away from Jerusalem, Luke tells us what's on their minds, as so often happens when you walk. They're, they're debriefing these events that have just gone on, the, the death of Jesus. They're trying to come to grips with it, they're processing it. But this debrief, well, it doesn't lead to encouragement, it only leads to further bitter disappointment. Luke records in verse 17 that they looked sad, downcast. It's an emotional word, it's an emotionally laden word. Later on, Cleopas uses the telling phrase, but we had hoped. Hope for Cleopas in that moment had been killed. In his sadness, hope was a distant memory. He was once hoping, but now he is moping. No doubt he had read the prophet, everlasting joy will be yours. But in that moment, all he knew was sadness. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? I want you to say yes. And you might want to say yes. But do you actually believe it? Outside of what you might want to believe or outside of what you think others might want you to believe, do you actually believe it? And do you struggle with it? Do you struggle with the promise of the prophet that says everlasting joy will be yours? Do you struggle with the reality of Jesus' resurrection that we come here to celebrate this morning? Well, if you struggle with that, you're not alone. Because the resurrection is no easy, neat package of truth. One alternative to struggling with the resurrection, to struggling with its enormous claim that there was this man dead and now is alive, one, one alternative is to just, just diminish it, to make, make it a little neater, to make it a little more palatable, not to dismiss it, no, because we, you know, we want to believe in the resurrection, but we'll make it more palatable. We'll say that the resurrection finds its truth in our hearts. It's a, you know, it's, it's a really powerful idea, the resurrection, that we can apply to our lives. It's a, it's a way in which we can apply self, you know, a level of self-improvement to our lives. You know, your career or reputation was in the grave, but now it's been resurrected to new life. That's the power of the resurrection. Well, that's what the resurrection truth is about. Well, that's not what... The Bible says. Everything for the Apostle Paul hangs on the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, the real resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul says that we are essentially pathetic, more pathetic than anyone else if Jesus has not been raised. The resurrection demonstrates the identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Saviour of the world. Paul says that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. 
The resurrection is the embodiment of, God, of the gospel message itself. It's the promise of life after death, of a renewed and perfect life in a world to come to all who believe. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, pour, never perish, spoil or fade. The resurrection is not just an idea. The resurrection in the Bible and the resurrection for Christian people is, a central, is the central reality of our lives. And I want you to believe it. But I don't want you to believe it too easily. Well, that's not even the pattern of the most faithful disciples. In our reading, Mary, as Rachel pointed out in the kids' talk, came to that tomb there with spices to mask the stench of a corpse. It wasn't a resurrection she was believing in. As she, as she sees the stones being rolled away, she doesn't break out into song, the stone's been rolled away. No, it says in our reading, verse 4, that she was perplexed. And even at the declaration of the angels, there as she's at that tomb, the angels declare, he is risen. And she's getting close, but she's not quite there yet. Peter goes to the empty tomb and he leaves, not praising God, do you remember what our reading said? He leaves wondering to himself what had happened. Those who heard Jesus' words, those who had seen Jesus raise people like Lazarus from the dead, found it hard to grasp the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because the trust in the resurrection, resurrected Lord Jesus is no easy thing. It actually requires God himself to come, to come into our lives and to make himself known. And that's what happens to Cleopas in verse 15 of Luke chapter 24. It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus to them. And when did he appear to them? Not in their faith, in their victory, and in their bold proclamation, but he appears to them in their doubt, in their disbelief, and in their despair. And there as he appears, the one that they perhaps had known, there as he appears to them, they still don't recognise him, Luke records. The Lord of life was walking next to them unrecognised. And it took some time. It took some time of Jesus being with them, of staying with them, of having a meal with them and explaining the scriptures to them before verse 31. They opened their eyes and they recognised him. You see, Jesus was right next to them, but they couldn't see him. 
He needed to reveal himself. And he revealed himself through his word. His word grounded their experience. In fact, his word made sense of all that had happened, of his death, of their disappointment. His word was the way in which life made sense. Their belief in the resurrection was grounded in the way that Jesus explained the scriptures. And it's only through the word that he became not a, fright, not a frightened stranger, but a welcomed guest. And friends, this morning, it's similar for us. The resurrected Lord Jesus comes to us through his word. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He asks all who are thirsty to come to him such that they would drink rivers of living water. He comes to us this morning and he comes to us by his spirit. He comes to us through his word. And he is raised not simply to go and leave us. He was raised to come and to be with us with resurrection power. He's come to be the light of the world. He's come with a promise of eternal future. But he's come with a power for life now. This is Paul's understanding in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, The immeasurable greatness of his power is at work to all who believe. And what has this power done? Well, he goes on. He says, It's the same power he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Apostle Paul says, is on offer to all who believe. Are we going to recognise the resurrected Lord Jesus in our lives? Or is it going to be our disappointment, our darkness, our disillusion and our despair? We might imagine what our ideal lives should be and what Jesus should be doing in our lives. You know, we thought he would heal our relationships. We, we thought he would fix our finances. We thought, you know, he would make life just, just a bit easier. But he comes. He comes to us with resurrection power. And he comes just as he came on that road to Emmaus in death, in disillusion and despair. Because often we're the ones who are making this journey away from God. We're getting away from the Lord Jesus. And this is the wonderful thing, that Jesus is resurrected. He lives and he reigns at God's right hand. And he gives his spirit to work that resurrection power in us and to be with us in doubt, in despair and in difficulty. Are we going to see merely a stranger? Or are we going to know that Jesus has made himself known to us? That he has come in resurrection power? That he has stormed the gates of hell? That the enemy has been drowned, that death has been killed, and that one day 
One day our mourning will be turned into joy. And the joy will be ours because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Will you see Jesus this morning? Will you see his power and his promise for new life? For life eternal and for life now. Amen. Please stand as we sing.